0: You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. All right, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. We're going to work through the text. I'm not going to read it in its entirety in one go, but we're going to work through the text uh, together. Now, if you're like me and like comfort, I don't know if there's anyone here this morning that's like, no, actually, I don't like comfort. I like discomfort. I think we all like comfort, we like our cozy pants right? We like our cozy chairs. I had a cozy chair in the house, in Rocky Mountain House. It was my favorite cozy chair. It's a beautiful chair. It's worn-out leather chair, and that was my cozy chair after, especially if I preached on Sunday, I would go home and sit in my cozy chair. I like, I like coziness. I like uh, easy conversations, stress-free holidays, an enjoyable job, whatever it is. We, I think we all can agree. We're all right with comfort. You're not going to be upset complaining that things were comfortable today for you. That is good and fine. I'm going to tell you this morning comfort's okay, but comfort is not comfort is not the story of the Christian life. Okay? Comfort is not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life that's ransomed by Christ, it's not what comfort is about. This life that's ransomed by Christ in his service for his glory. Comfort is not what that life is all about. Comfort is okay. It's all right when comfort comes, but it is certainly not what the Christian life is about, which is ironic because the message of today, typically in, in Canada, in Western Canada, in churches, unfortunately, is a message of false comfort. I mean, comfort's okay, but that's not what the Christian life is about. The gospel message, when this passage that we're looking at this morning in Nehemiah, Christian life is about the gospel. And this message of the gospel, you know, in Nehemiah's day, 2,400 years ago, it hasn't changed. It wasn't about comfort then, and it's not about comfort now. Now, ironically enough, Nehemiah has kind of got a season of comfort going previous to this passage in Scripture. He's got a season of comfort going. He's got a killer job. Israel right now, he's got the job. Israel is under Persian rule, and he's got the job of being the cupbearer for the king. Now, that's a really good job if you're ruled by a country, to be the king's cupbearer. So as far as a job goes, he had a season of comfort. Guaranteed, life wasn't easy for him. But man, the guy had a good job. And things would have been comfortable in that sense. Now, what happened was Nehemiah's world got rocked. He's cupbearer for the king. But if you look in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, he gets word of what's going on back home in Jerusalem. And he is floored by it. He's rocked. He's just messed up with it. And he is weeping, he is grieving, and it hits him to the core. Now, he had a good enough relationship with the king at that time. The king notices, asks him what's up. They get talking. And we find out that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, he gets rocked by what's going on. The king notices it, but what was really going on, he asks permission to go build the, the wall in Jerusalem back home. And the reason is, is because God grabbed his heart. And gra- God grabbed his heart He hears this news, but what what really went on is God spoke to his heart and put it on his heart to go back and build this wall to do a great work. I mean, you figure they're under Persian rule. Now, it's been 150 years the wall's been down. It's been burnt. It's been rubble. It's been down. Now, he is the man clearly called by God to go and be part of leading a group to rebuild this wall. it's It's an unreal event in history. It's a great work of God. Now he's got to go 55 days to get there. That's roughly 800, or sorry, 1,800 kilometers away. And someone could work out the math on that, uh, it's a long way. I think it's like 20 miles a day or something like that. So it's 55-mile journey. This guy's going a long way, but the work is tremendous. The work is going to be absolutely fantastic. Now what we see as we go through the text this morning, when he gets there, is that the opposition is heavy. He's doing a work of God. He's clearly called by God. We're told that in Scripture. And he gets there and right away, if you look through the book of Nehemiah, it doesn't take long, and this opposition comes and the opposition is heavy. Now I think it would be fair to ask the question, why? Why? If Nehemiah has this work to do called by God, why is it so heavy? I mean, God, why? Clearly this is from you. Clearly, you put this on my heart. Why is it so difficult? What I find interesting through the book of Nehemiah is we never get an inclination that Nehemiah was asking this question. We never get an inclination that Nehemiah was floored by this, that he was blindsided, that he was confused, that he was even upset with it. He never questions in any way what was going on. I think that's interesting. And here's the truth that we know in Scripture as a believer in the Lord. I believe Nehemiah understood this. Clearly, I, I think he had a very strong grip on this. And the truth is that if you desire to follow the Lord in obedience, then you will face opposition. Like, you're going to. It's going to happen. It's not a maybe. If you are desiring to follow Christ, you will face opposition. Now that can be visible. We know John 16:33. My kids, I've got three kids, a younger kids, 11, 9, and 6, two boys and a girl. Everyone, anyone heard of Family Seeds of Worship? It's kind of a rabbit trail, but uh, it's anybody? Seeds, it's, I think it's Seeds of Family Worship. It's worship music. It's scripture. Okay, if I read this passage right now my kids are here, they'd be like, oh, that's that song. You should look into it. It's fantastic. Now, when I read John sixteen thirty three, my kids come to mind. I think, oh, they'd be singing this. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And this is a song kids sing. This is talking about the tribulation that guaranteed is going to come to you as a follower in Christ. Visible, real tribulation and trials. But we also know that the opposition is real in the spiritual world. You will face opposition that will be visible, but you will face opposition that is invisible. Ephesians 6, 12-13, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So the tribulations that are there, that's actually not what you're wrestling against. It's a spiritual fight. Take up the whole armor of God, we're told. First Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Opposition to the obedient Christian life is natural. It's guaranteed. It's as natural as a sports team. I think Kelowna played last night. The opposition, I don't even know who they were. It doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure they came for the first period and the second and the third and if there would have been overtime, but they lost. I bet you the opposition would have came to overtime and no one would have been like, what? It's natural, right? It's the opposition. That is as natural as the Christian life. This is part of the Christian life, is opposition. You're going to face it. God's workers will be opposed, yet looking to God, they will not be stopped. And that is what I want us to see from this passage this morning in Nehemiah, God's workers will be opposed. It's going to happen. Yet, looking to God, they will not be stopped. Has the Lord put a specific desire on your heart this morning? Has the Lord laid something on your heart? And perhaps it's general. And perhaps it's just you love the Lord and you're saying, God, I want to serve you. Show me. I mean, at work, at home, just show me your will. I want to serve you. Or is there potentially something more specific, a task that you just you know you need to do, someone you need to talk to, something you need to do, whatever it is, this task has the Lord laid on your heart. Is it maybe part of this church plant? Many of you this morning were here, and many were gone actually, so I know there's many more that were here for the setup. I mean, this is pretty unreal. (laughs) I'm your first guest speaker? (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I've never been anyone's first guest speaker before. This is a brand new church plant. This is, this is unbelievable. And if we understand what we know and see in Scripture of the spiritual world, the battle that we have in the heavenlies that we don't see, there's going to be opposition to this. Is there not? I mean, what a thing to be a part of a church plant. Praise God we're in a gym. Sometimes I think that helps us realize that it's nothing about the building. You're part of advancing the kingdom of Christ. The demon's are terrified of Christ. This is the difference between souls going to be with the Lord forever or souls going to be away from the Lord in hell under his wrath forever. What you're a part of here is about advancing the only kingdom, not a kingdom, but the only supernatural kingdom that rules, the kingdom of Christ. That's what even this small gathering is a part of. That is, that is unthinkable. That's what's happening here. That is unbelievable. Has God put that on your heart? Are you realizing what's going on here? If you're a part of this this morning. When opposition comes then, because it will, and I guarantee you've already seen it, maybe visibly, but it's going on without you even knowing it visibly. When it comes, will you be the one who says, I will be mocked? yet I will be unmoved. And that's my first point through this text as we go through it now. Will you be the one to say, I will be mocked. It's going to happen, yet I will be unmoved. We look at verses 1 to 3 with me. And we see clear mocking going on. Now when Sambalet heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers, of the army of Samaria potential power behind him. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, and this is like his buddy, this is another uh, general, yes, what they're building if a fox goes up on it. They'll break it down. They'll break their stone wall down. They have a fox. I mean, basically, a fox is just about no bigger than a a small dog. It's like a cat. It's going to break it down. They're mocking them. And if you can imagine, they've come here to Jerusalem. Now, this is a city that's been, in the past, We're talking 150 years ago, been in shambles since then. I mean, war broke out. And they're amongst the rubble, and you can imagine them stumbling around the rocks, doing this work, and they're getting mocked. You know, maybe one of them, and I, <clears throat> I was thinking of this, if you're walking around there and he says, burned one's at that, they're looking at the burnt rubble, they're getting mocked and maybe picked up a stone, and he hears the mocking. Maybe one of the workers looks at this burnt piece of limestone, this rubble from the walls and thinks, maybe they're right. I mean, maybe we can't do this. I mean, look at this. It was torched once before, maybe it's going to happen again. And I wonder with you if this morning you're coming from a situation where you've heard mocking. There's been mocking in your life. Mocking because of your faith. Maybe mocking particularly about even this church. Maybe someone found out that Meldon's from Saskatchewan and they think that, that means he's a weak pastor. I don't know. You know, maybe there's been mocking where it's just been, hey, you guys are in a gym? I mean, honestly? You're, in a, you're what? You're meaning it? Well, you, put up, you put up blinds and polls and really like that oh really how many people came and i'm I'm certain that you're going to get the mocking and you're setting up gym chairs maybe this morning maybe help with the cleanup and you grab a gym chair and you look at this gym chair and you think Oh maybe they're right like what are we doing like what are we doing i've been a part of a church plant before i've been a part of a church before and maybe it's going to happen again i mean i was hurt and maybe you're thinking, like, what am I doing? And the mocking usually makes somewhat sense, doesn't it? It has some element of truth behind it, doesn't it? Maybe you're thinking, like, yeah. I don't know if I can do this. Now, what do you do? Do you just pull up your bootstrap, so to speak? Do you kind of take a deep, deep breath and say, all right, all right, no, 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 I'm not going to listen. You know, sticks and stones will hurt my... How does that go? Sticks and stones will hurt my, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You say something that I can't remember, obviously, and that's going to help you maybe. And you say, ah, oh, tomorrow is a better day. Is that what you do? What do you do? What do we do as believers when the mocking comes because it's going to come, and what I've mentioned is light. I mean, the mocking is going to come. What are you going to do? Well, let's look at the text. And I would say this, verses 4 and 5. I would say this before we read this. You get your eyes off the chair... You get your eyes off the chair, and you get your eyes on Christ. That's what you do. Stop listening to the mocking, or you listen to it, but you get your eyes off of what they're mocking, and you get your eyes off Christ. You get your eyes off your pastor, and you get your eyes on Christ. Get your eyes off the blinds in the church that you guys set up, and you get your eyes on Christ. Verses four to five, hear, O our God. They cry out to God. They say, Here, God, here We are despised. Turn back their taunts on their heads and give them up to be plundered. Wow, you think these guys are they're upset right now. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. So they're saying, don't let them get away with this, God. And why are they saying this? This is why. For they have provoked you to anger. In the presence of the builders, they provoked you to anger. Now, how did they know that God had been provoked to anger? I mean, how did they know that? Did God speak to them? I mean, maybe. We're not told that in the text. I'm certain because of what we knew of Nehemiah's call, he knew this was from God. He knew this work was from God. They knew that God was provoked to anger because it was God's work that they were doing. Now when you're despised as a believer in Christ, and you will be, when you're mocked for your faith, and man, unless you, unless you live in the basement and like never go outside, ever, even then somehow they will find you (laughs) and they will mock you, you will be mocked. And when this happens and you're despised, you need to know this, that they are really not mocking you, they're mocking your God. They're mocking Christ. And to be clear, the name of Christ. They're mocking His work that you're doing. And that's significant that you know that. They knew, look, it's not really us. God, they've despised us, but it's not really us. It's you that they're despising. It's you that they're mocking. And I mean, what a work to be able to be doing the work of Christ. I mean, wow. So when you're mocked, it's really not about you. They're mocking your God. Israel knew that they were doing God's work. And because of that, this is why they remain unmoved. If you look at verse 6, it says, So we built the wall. When I read that, I just, that stood out to me. I thought, <laughs> it just seems funny to me. So they're mocking us. So, called out to God, and we got to it. We built the wall. That's what we did. That was our job. That was the work God called us to do and we got to it. And the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Their mind wasn't focused on the mocking. It wasn't focused on the rubble around them, the chairs in the building. They were focused on the work that God had called them to do and because of that they were unmoved. So we built the wall. There was no waste of time. Now, as we'll see in this text, we continue on here. The work did continue, but the opposition that they were facing, it intensifies. It intensifies greatly. And if you look here with me, in verses 7 and 9, and would this be you then when when the opposition intensifies, when the opposition comes, will it be you who says then, I will be attacked, yet I will be ready, I will be ready. When the attack comes, will you be ready? And let's look here. Clearly the attack was was imminent. It was coming. Verses 7 to 8. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. So now if you notice, there's more than just two guys here, right? Tobiah and Sanballat. There's actually a group here. And this is now the groups have come from the east, the west, and the south. So they're really, in, res- in that respect, they're surrounded. The group's grown, and now they're basically surrounded. In verse 8, says, And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. Now, up to this point, if the wall thing doesn't work out, with the mocking and the rest of it, and, ah, maybe this isn't going to happen, and they can't complete the work. They can go home, and they really don't lose that much, right? You could count it as maybe like a short-term mission trip or something. We attempted to build a wall. We didn't get it done, but no one was hurt. You know, and we learned some things, and and, and it was good. But it's not really going to cost them anything. Well, now now things have changed. Now it's going to cost them something. Now there's this threat of attack from uh, an army, basically, that surrounded them, And the stakes are high. This is going to cost them a lot. This is going to potentially cost them scars. It's going to cost them everything, potentially, their life. So the stakes are high. Now, we're not told, but I wonder, we're not told, but I wonder if they would have reevaluated at this time. Okay, think about it. It's no longer mocking. You've got them basically pounding at the door saying, we're coming. I wonder if they said all right come on let's let's sort of take let's look around here and say is this worth it I mean do we really have the numbers to do this I mean is is the setup is the setup worth it you know maybe you think about the church plan here cuz man it, it looks like this is going to cost us potentially everything so is this really is it worth it and I wonder if they reevaluated Are you ready for what it's going to cost you to do God's work? Now to answer that question, I think it's fitting that we ask ask the Lord. And the Lord tells us to be ready. He says, Count the cost. And if you look in Luke fourteen, twenty seven to thirty three, I think we have it on the screen there. Do we have that slide? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So bearing a cross is not one heroic moment. Bearing a cross to die, the cross is a symbol of torture. Whoever does not come after me willing to lose everything. Not one heroic moment, taking a bullet for the president kind of idea. Whoever does not take his cross be willing to suffer all things. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. So are you ready? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. That's a heavy word. Have you counted the cost is it true of you that you would say, No, I am willing to renounce all that I have? Now that might seem like, man, like why? And I want to remind you of what it means to be in Christ. Why not? Not only why not, not why not? You you have no choice. If you understand the gospel of Christ, then you understand you have nothing apart from Christ. You have nothing. It's only in Christ that you have life and everything you have then is a gift from Christ. And so when it said, will you be willing to renounce everything, it's basically saying, will you give back to the one who it rightfully belongs to you? Are you willing then to renounce all things? Are you willing, even though it's maybe scary to say, I'm willing to to let go of my kids. I'm willing to follow Christ, whatever that means. I don't mean go against biblical authority and then abandon your children. I mean, are you scared of an attack because you're following the Lord and you're holding back because you're hanging on to your kids? Are you willing to renounce all? That you would joyfully lose kids, health, finances, relationship, job, community? Are you ready for that? Now the attack is coming to Israel. But we're told they're ready. If you look in verse 9, they said, we prayed. They prayed to their God. They looked to God. Now the attack is coming. They're looking to God. And what do they do? It says, we set as a guard a protection against them day and night. They set up a guard. They got ready. They prayed to God and they got ready ready. They knew the cost. They knew it was high. They knew it potentially cost them their lives, and they got ready. They didn't stop. They kept building, and now they were ready for it. I mean, how many believers, how many of us forget? I mean, how many times have I forgot? You get blindsided by something, and all of a sudden you're confused. Why is this happening to me? Why, God? Why would you allow this? As opposed to, I was ready for this, knowing that you are good in over all things. I was ready for this, and I will not stop. I will follow you, God, you are good. And I've seen close friends of mine go through horrendous situations, and what a testimony to the gospel, because they're ready. They're ready for this. They know what it means to be a follower of the Lord, means to renounce all things. Christ said it himself, and they're ready for it. And it's good. Is it true of you? If the attack is coming? So that you've looked to God. You know who you are in Christ. All that you have is his. And are you willing? Are you ready? Are you ready because our Lord is our guard? I mean, that's our guard, right? I mean, I I, I love that someone had said the other day, I forget where I heard this from, uh, a missionary that was taken during, I think it was World War II, captive. And he's on this boat. And he's just, he's so worried. He's thinking, I'm going to get killed here any moment. And he basically comes to the end of himself and says, well, Lord, there's no sense two of us staying up all night. And he said, you got to guard me. And he went to sleep on this Nazi ship. I mean, unreal. Are you ready because you're looking to the one that guards you? That he is with me always. Is this true of you this morning? My God is with me. He watches me. He's good. He is not a weak God. I'll be ready. What can man do to me anyhow? Right? What can man do to me? What can separate me from his love? Romans 8, neither height nor depth. Principality, nothing. Spiritual or visible. So I'm ready. Is that true of you? Do you understand what it means to count the cost? And if you understand the gospel, I mean, what else can we do? What a glorious thing to say, I am in God's service. Of course I'm ready. In any great work on earth, even on an earthly level, says you're ready. I mean, you're going to give your life to this, right? How much more to the one who gave us life? When the opposition comes, will it be you who says, and this is my third point, will it be you who says, I will be intimidated yet I will be willing to fight. Maybe you say I'm ready, but man, Kyle, I'm scared. I just don't know if I can give up all those things you're talking of. When the opposition comes, will it be you who says, yeah, I'm scared. I'll be intimidated, but I will be willing to fight. If we look at verses 10 down to the end of the text, want to look at three ways that intimidation may come, three forms, and we see it in the text in which it did come. Look at verse 10, the first one being, "The job is too big." Now in Judah it was said, verse 10. In Judah it was said, "The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. It's too much. I mean, look at these stones. They're all burnt. It's too much. We're tired. Can you relate to this? Will it be you that looks to the one who never tires? Look at the second way that they were intimidated, and that is the danger was looming, verse 11. And our enemies said, So the second way, verse 11. The enemy said, they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work, they're not going to know when it comes. It's coming, but you don't know when. Can you relate to this? Can you relate to this? You think, man, I'm ready, Kyle, but I don't know. I mean, what, I think today is a good day, I think, but I'm not sure about tomorrow. What about tomorrow? Maybe it's coming. Maybe it's coming. Maybe it's not my time. Maybe it's going to be my kids tomorrow. Maybe it's going to be my health. Maybe something's going to happen on the roads or whatever it is, visibly or invisibly, Will you look to the one who holds the future? There's no sense you both staying up tonight. Let the Lord guard you. The third intimidation. The the pressure is constant. Look at verse 12. At that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times. Now it's not a literal ten times. This is kind of like saying to your kids, didn't I tell you? Like I've told you a hundred times. I tell you, like a hundred times to pick up your toys, that's kind of what's going on here. So the Jews are coming to them and say, ten times, you must return to us. Over and over and over and over again, like a parent telling his kid to clean up his toys. And these Jews are family, right? I mean, here's here's your closest to you, right? Blood. And they are saying, return to us. Get out of there. Get out of there. Get out of there. Give it up. Give it up. From all sides, they're saying this. Can you relate to this? Can you relate to this constant pressure maybe to just quit, just give it up? Or you will look to the one whose mercies are new every morning. Now under these three forms of intimidation, let's look to see what Nehemiah does. If you look in verse 14, we're told this. In the lowest parts of the of the space behind the wall in open places I station the people by their clans with swords and their spears and their bows so he takes all the weak points and he gets ready okay he gets ready again all right we don't know when it's coming let's get ready so that's exactly what he does he takes his weak his weak points his weaknesses and he beefs them up he gets ready and then he says this <clears throat> It says, he looked, in verse 14, he looked and arose. Now, we're not sure exactly what he saw. But looking at the context, I believe I know exactly what he saw. He saw a bunch of rubble. He saw a broken down wall. He saw a half-built wall. He saw tired people of all shapes, ages, and sizes holding weapons of war. Totally freaked out totally tired and exhausted, intimidated. And he looks and he sees these people and he rises and what does he do? says to the nobles and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Now why does he say that? Does he say that because the cup's half full? It's not so bad? I mean, tomorrow's a new day think positive, guys. Come on, it's not so bad. Is that what he does? Is that why he can say, do not be afraid of them? Look, they're weak. They're not that big. They're not that strong. And they probably won't come. Is that what he does? He says, do not be afraid of them. Why? Why? Because he says, see our God. Look at our God. Look at our God. Verse 13 to 14 here. Remember The Lord who is great and awesome. Do not be afraid of them. Our God is awesome. And some of your translations may say terrible. Our God is terrible. Now the people around them were terrible. The attack that was potentially coming was terrible. Our God is terrible. Our God is awesome. They don't hold a candle to him. Look to our God and do not be afraid of them. And then he says, Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is real life. This is not just, do not be afraid of them because Christians aren't scared. This is this. this affects everyone. This affects the people that are closest to you. What you do in obedience to the Lord counts. It affects everyone. Remember this, that If you are to stop, you say, enough of this. I can't take the mocking at school. I'm just going to the parties. I'm just laughing at the jokes. You say, I can't take this. The setup's ridiculous in the morning on Sundays. Say, I'm done. I quit. I'm too scared of what might happen. I've been a part of stuff before and it didn't go well. I'm done. When you quit, the opposition still comes. It doesn't stop. Now, you may feel some sense of relief but it will be a false relief. We know of the unseen battle that goes on. And this will affect your kids and everyone else. And if you have stopped, it is never too late to repent and come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I am ready. I am willing. You are awesome. You are worthy. And it's only in you that I can do this. So for the sake of your family, your kids, your spouse, your church, look to God He is our victor. Look to God. Do not stop. God's workers will be opposed. Just just be alright with that. Just know that that's the case. Yet looking to God, they will not be stopped. When opposition comes, do you look to the Lord? When opposition comes, will you do that? Look to the gospel. Think of, think, of, think of our gospel. If you are a follower in Christ, then you understand the gospel, right? You understand that Christ came as a man. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, he comes out of, in that sense of perfect relationship with the Father and comes to something uncomfortable. Comes down to earth, right? As a man. And he faces great opposition. We're told through the scriptures that he was tempted He was deserted. He was betrayed. He was tortured. Our Lord and Savior faced opposition. This is the nature of the Christian life. And this is the opposite that we typically hear in our world. Man, it's the opposite of what the world's living for, is it not? I mean, no one wants to hear that. You're telling me that that what it means to be as a Christian is someone who's going to face opposition continually? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. I mean, it is worthy. It is worth it. It is. What else can you do? Our Lord did it because He did it. You have life. So, yes, praise God. He is not a God of comfort. If He was, we would have no hope today. We wouldn't be worshiping our Lord. We'd be under His judgment. We'd already be sent to hell. Our God is not a God of comfort. So I want to leave you with this and this challenge and this, and I, and I pray this is you know, maybe a challenge but also encouraging then to you is this do not stop. You are serving the Lord. Praise God. And do not stop. Pick your head up, lift your chin up, and look to God. Get your eyes off that piece of rubble. Maybe there's one thing in your life You've got this charred piece of broken wall that you just keep looking at and you say, yeah, but I, don't, I, I, I can't give this up. It's going to be too hard. I don't think this is going to work. This has happened before and you're focused on this one thing that is just crippling you. Get your eyes off that and look to your God. Look to our God. We've already won. And when the opposition comes, will you look to Him? And you must let look to Him to overcome. May the Lord bless you uh, with this word from the Lord. And I pray that this would be true of you. Would you look to the Lord? Would you overcome for His glory, for His kingdom, for His namesake? Our God is not weak. He will prevail through you, whatever comes. They cannot do anything to you. They take your life. They take your kids. You have the Lord. He is with you. Nothing surprises Him. Nothing can separate you from His love. He is Almighty God. Do you see Him? Do you know Him? Will you continue to serve Him? I pray that you will look to Him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, You are Almighty God. You are awesome. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, that it would be true of this church that they would never focus only on the chairs and the setup, Lord, on a piece of rubble and quit or be crippled by it, Father, but that they would look to you. Lord, you are awesome, you are great. And Father, I pray that you would bless this church, that you would do a great work for your namesake, for your glory. Father, in Jesus' name, would you protect these people? Father, individually, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, would they bend to you, the Almighty God, knowing that they are already they are under your wrath, deserving of hell. Father, would they bend the knee to you, repent, and believe in you, and find life, Father, <clears throat> to know victory, and to, for the first time, be able to say, I am pursuing God, and I cannot be stopped. And Father, for those that know you, I pray that this morning they would be encouraged to do just that, to continue pursuing you. And Father, maybe some big changes for them in their life, maybe some things, Lord, that they need to let go. Father, maybe it's just encouragement this morning to continue on and to get their eyes off the things that they're terrified of that have been crippling them and get their eyes on you, almighty God. And so Father, I pray for this blessing as we close, Lord, in worship. Uh, This morning, I pray that that would be on our heart, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.